Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, If we've not met and you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Rich, and a particularly warm welcome to you if you're visiting with us. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on this passage and seeking to explain it a bit, but let me just put my cards on the table. I'm giddy with excitement today. I'm giddy with excitement to be speaking and to be here on a day where Vicky and Alice celebrate and declare and uh, publicly show that they are part of God's family. I am buzzing for that. I am unashamedly buzzing to stand in solidarity with people whose stories might be a little different to mine and maybe to yours, whose life experiences, like for all of us, are very different for each one of us, and whose backgrounds might be different, multiplied a million times in every relationship in this room. We're all different from one another in so many ways. And yet, because of Jesus, we are united as one as the church. In all our differences, because of Jesus, we are drawn together, each loved, each welcome in this family. And really, as we turn to this passage that we've had read to us, I want to dwell on that idea of being a family where all can belong. And I want to ask you, Vicky, and ask you, Alice, but really ask every single one of us, do you really believe that the church can be a place where all can belong? Do you believe that? That all sorts of different sorts of people can be family together in the church. That despite much difference, we can relate together as equals in this community. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the invitation of God is not for a certain type of person, but goes out to all? Do you believe that God's arms are open, like Jesus' arms on the cross were open? Do you believe that God is like that? That his heart is open? That his hand gestures are not a stop sign, but a beckoning, come to me? Do you believe that? And if you believe it, do you live that out? Do you live that out to others, as in, is your heart open to all sorts of different people joining our family? Are your arms open wide? Even though sometimes loving people who are a bit different to you might be a little bit painful or tricky, do you live this out? And do you live this out for yourself? As in, do you dare to believe that in all of your difference and your background and your story and your experiences and your weirdness that we all have, do you believe that that doesn't exclude you, but that you can truly belong in the people of God? And if you believe it, and if you live it out for others, and if you live it out for yourself, I want to ask you, do you know and experience the earth-shattering wonder of that? Does it make you sing? Does it blow your mind? Does it cut through the fog and the mist and the routine of your life and make you go, wow, when you realize the miracle that it takes to join all sorts of different people together as family? 
Because all of that is basically what Paul has just said in our passage. And I want to wander back through it and just show you that I'm not making it up and that it's in the Bible. And then when we've done that, we'll go and baptize them. Because what Paul is at pains to reveal in this passage is that God's plan for the church is that anyone can get in on this. And that the vision God has for his church is so glorious that the eyes, even of angels, well up when they look out at the church. Let's dive into the passage and we'll see it. Paul tees the whole thing up in the first few verses with this odd language of God's mysterious plan. Paul says, hey, do you know about God's plan, the dreams that he has, the longings he has, his mission and desires that he's been working towards through all of history in this world? Do you know what he's been plotting all this time? And then, bewildered uh, that that God would use him, uh, Paul says, slightly sheepishly, because I know the plan. I've been told the plan. God's revealed the plan to me. Do you want to know it? Verse 3, he says this, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. Verse 5, God did not reveal it to previous generations. But now, in the age of the church, by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul's saying there's something that up till now God has been holding back. His glorious, mysterious plan. He's hinted at it and he's built towards it and he's been preparing for it. And God has even been so excited about it that he sort of leaked out little snippets of it through the Old Testament so you can get an idea about it. But that now, in the age of the church, the plan is revealed. Do you want to know the plan? Verse 6. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews, that's two very different types of people who believe the good news, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings. Translation, anyone can belong in God's family. Let me do a minute of background just to help this make sense. The people, of, uh, the people that God chose to be his friends and his family in the Old Testament were almost exclusively from the nation of Israel. They were the Jewish people. And I say almost exclusively because God, his heart is so big and his heart is so passionate that he couldn't help himself but just break from habit and draw people in from other nations along the way. So you have people like Rahab and Ruth and the mixed multitude, it says, that come out from Egypt with God's people. But on the whole, he was the God and Father of the Jews. And everybody else on this planet was under the banner term Gentiles. It basically means non-Jews, those from a different family line or the surrounding nations or even the very ends of the earth. And because of this, fast forward to the first century when this text was first written, and to be a Gentile meant that you were an outsider. That's what that word means, that you're an outsider. And partly out of an attempt to follow God's instructions, and partly, don't religious communities do this all the time, partly by putting in human traditions and saying that they're divine, 
Whatever the reasons, in the first century, the structures of the day meant that if you were a Gentile, you were excluded. You were not allowed in. You know, sometimes, how tragic is this? In the physical buildings designed for worship of the time, a literal physical wall was built that said, you can come here, but no further if you're a Gentile. And you know what? There might have been what Natalie Williams describes as invisible divides as well, where there's not a physical barrier or a sign-up that says you can't come in, but there's all sorts of unseen, unsaid, unspoken ways that we shut certain people out. But Paul and God are saying, no, not in the church because God's mysterious plan has now been revealed and both Gentiles who are outsiders and Jews who are insiders share equally in this family. Now what does that mean for us today? Because I don't imagine Jews v Gentiles is the big insider outsider issue in our family. I don't think many of you came today and said I hope there's no Gentiles with us this morning because Almost all of us probably are Gentiles. I wonder what it is in our community. Who are the insiders and outsiders in this family? Maybe it's around ethnicity. The ways that things get set up. So the insiders are those who are white and look like me. And those who don't look like that are made to feel like they are on the outside. Maybe it's a certain education. We're in the shadow of a prestigious red brick Russell group, I think. I don't know what that means. Uh, University establishment over the road there. Wonderful place. And we praise God for that. La, la, la. But if we buy the nonsense that you have to have some degree from some place to really be someone who can get in on this community, Jesus wept. Jesus threw up hearing that. That is not true. And if you've got a degree from a Red Rick University, praise God, you don't need to feel bad for it. It is so irrelevant to your status in this community, can I tell you. Because if it wasn't, if you're someone who fails your third year and doesn't get your degree, then you're not a proper church centraler. <coughs> Nonsense. Maybe it's around class or whether you say class or class. Maybe it's about marital status. Or having a good, knowledgeable Christian background. Or being an extrovert who can shout out a prayer. Or having consistent mental health. Or having an ordered life. It could be anything where some people get blessed with this status of insider. And some, well, they're outsiders. And Paul and God say, no. Know then on the Jew-Gentile thing and know now on whatever invisible divide we put in because this is the church and the invitation is to all. The doors are open wide. There's not a person who you can think of who is not invited to get in on the love and mercy of God. If only they would come to him. Now, how on earth is that possible? How can so many different types of people and different experiences and different backgrounds truly be welcomed together? The second point explains it, that Jesus is our way in to God's family. Jesus is our way in. Which, is, which means if you have Jesus, but you have none of the other characteristics, you belong. 
And if you have all the other characteristics and you don't have Jesus, then you need to come to him to get into God's family because he is our way in. And to help you wake up and to make another cacophony of noise, you're going to read some of the red words on the screen in these verses that show this. So verse 6 to start with. Can we see colors? Can we see colors from where you are? When it says Jesus, say Jesus. (laughs) Verse 6, both, that's Gentiles and Jews, both enjoy the blessings, the promise of blessings, because they belong to not a certain uni. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in not a marital status. Verse 11. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Not whiteness. Verse 12. Because of and our faith in we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. It's him. And that's important for each of us as individuals to remember. But it's desperately important for our community because it's of the utmost importance that we never graduate past this because if we forget this then we'll draw all sorts of invisible divides about who really belongs and actually let me be real and not make this a hypothetical comment when we forget this which of course we do loads of times when we forget this We do draw all sorts of invisible divides in our community. And of that we must repent regularly and learn and grow and remember that you only need him to belong here. Because what gets you in as a fully accepted, fully welcome member of God's family is this, belonging to Jesus the endless treasures of his grace and mercy and forgiveness, nothing else. To belong in the people of God, you should not have to look like someone else, speak like someone else, have the same living situation as someone else, have the same desires as someone else, or even, can I say this, be living up to the same amount of godly Christian living as someone else. It's about faith in Christ. Now, don't mishear me. Caveat time from the king of the caveat. I'm not saying that everything about you and us is always pleasing to God and that you can go out, murder 20 people with an axe, come on a Sunday and be like, it's the grace of God, man. I can just do what I want. Of course, there are things about us that with God's help, we need to seek to change. Of course, chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians that we're going to get to in a few weeks are full of things that all followers of Jesus need to commit to seeking to live out more and more and more. But don't get the order wrong. His full acceptance and mercy and grace and welcome come first when you least deserve it. It is the grace of God that brings you to this family, which is why anyone can get in on this. Jesus did everything that was required He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled God's law. He got it right all the time and died for our sins and shortcomings and rose 
to show us that though we get it wrong in loads of ways, he is our acceptance. He is our welcome. It's him. And I say this to Alice, and I say this to Vicky, and I say this to every single one of us, that even when we don't feel it, even when we fall short, Jesus has done it all, and you belong in his family. And when you feel not good enough, admit it and remember he was good enough for you. This is a place where anyone can get in on it because Jesus is all you need to belong. Now I'm nearly done and I want to go and get these people in a paddling pool in a moment. But how do we respond There are loads of ways, I'm sure, but in verse 10, Paul shows us what the response of even the angels in heaven is to God's plan for a community like that. Verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly Places. Translation, because there's a lot of jargon in there. Unseen spiritual things in heaven are looking around the cosmos. And there's one thing that their eyes land upon that make them go, wow, God is amazing. He is amazing. And it isn't primarily the millions and millions of stars burning bright in our galaxies. It's not the might of political empires rising and falling. It's not the vast beauty of the Grand Canyon. It's none of that. It's the messy mixture of weird people that Jesus calls the church. This family of all sorts of people who shouldn't fit together and yet are one in the Lord. And the unseen beings turn their eyes to that, to the church worldwide, even to this little family, even to our little clunky community groups where it's like hot dogs communion and a quick prayer. And they look at that and they go, wow, God is amazing. He is full of wisdom. Now, I'll be honest. When I think of the church, that's not always my emotional response. When I think of the church as an organization that I'm struggling to help lead, my emotional response is almost 100% anxiety and overwhelm. When I think of the church as a Sunday meeting for the last few weeks, in a not ideally acoustically made room, if I'm honest, I have a small headache, and I could take it or leave it sometimes if I'm going to be honest, which maybe I shouldn't be. And it needs stating that we in this church community have a long way to go to become more and more a place where invisible divides are broken down and no one's made to feel like an outsider. But with all of those caveats said, do you know what? When I remember the church is a family, and I look at you people, and I remember what God has done in your life to bring you here, knowing many of your stories as I do, when I think about walking with Alice and Vicky over the last few years and knowing their stories, 
I tell you what, I do look at this community and I go, wow, God is amazing. God is amazing. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wise? And that wisdom is displayed in the church. Let us never lose the wonder of being the church. Let us never lose the wonder of being a community where all can find a home. And let us commit again, again. And if it's not this church, I sort of care, I do. But a church family, will you commit and see it be more and more a place where all can find a home? Will you commit to that? Because I've found a home in the church, and by God's grace, Vicky and Alice, and you too, let's be that community for all. And let's go and baptize them, and celebrate, and stand with them, and show that we're the church by applauding and cheering and whooping alongside them. Johnny. Johnny.